Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, great to see all of you here, and uh, good morning to those who are worshiping with us online. Um, thank you for your interest in attending today's worship service, and we hope uh, I hope that the message that I share with you this morning from the Bible uh, will be of use to you, and uh, will help you in your uh, process of seeking for the truth. Now, um, this the sermon for this morning uh, as part of our Friendship Sunday is a sermon that we have uh, once every month to uh, help some of our visitors better understand uh, what are some of the things that are found in the scriptures. And it's especially helpful for those who are seeking the truth. Maybe you have uh, been worshipping at various churches, uh, trying to find out uh, what the scriptures are saying, and we hope that this sermon will help you. Uh, having said that, uh, it's not possible for all questions to be answered uh, by a single sermon. Um, and therefore, if it's necessary, uh, whether you are worshipping with us in person or online, uh, feel free to arrange a Bible study by reaching out to us or share with us your questions so that we can find the time to answer them. Now, before I proceed with the sermon, I also think it's important to uh, establish this uh, principle okay, that uh, I guess should be present in all congregations, and that is that we use the Bible as our reference and guide. Okay, the Bible is, uh, revealed, is the revealed Word of God, and therefore we will be making reference to the Bible and only the Bible. Uh, for guidance. Yeah, if, we turn, if you turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 to 17, or you can feel free to read it off the PowerPoint slide. Um, verse 16 states, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So that brings me to the topic for today. From heaven or from men? This phrase is found in the Bible in Matthew chapter 21, verse 25. Um, on first glance, I'm just looking at this phrase. Uh, it may seem as though this phrase was asked by uh, maybe a normal person like you or I. But this phrase was in fact asked by Jesus Christ to the chief priests and elders who were questioning his authority. Uh, but having said that, I think um, just this phrase alone, from heaven or from men, uh, is an important question for all of those who are seeking the truth. Um, for this specific topic, the purpose of the sermon today is not then to discuss all possible topics or issues and determine if they are from heaven or men, but really to shed light on the importance of recognizing divine authority and, more importantly, having an appropriate response to it. <coughs> This is, of course, uh, because if we recognize that the Bible is from God, if we choose not to heed its commandments, then it will have major consequences on a person's life. So for today's sermon, I would like to uh, keep it uh, rather simple. Uh, the feedback from my wife is that sometimes my sentences go on for too long and it's hard to follow. <laughs> so I will try to adapt my sentence structure. Uh, but... <laughs> I organized the sermon in, in basically three parts. One, I guess, is first to look at um, the passage of Scripture and uh, reflect on the situation uh, that we may find ourselves in uh, where it seems challenging to figure out what is from heaven or from men. Right? And the second, I guess, is to... second part of the sermon, we will look at recognizing the authority of God. And I will just briefly go through two examples of baptism and uh, salvation by faith only as uh, ways to sort of illustrate this, uh, to, to go deeper into this concept. And then thirdly, 
Um, and appropriately, we will consider what our response should be. And if then there is a need to repent. So uh, without further ado, let us go straight uh, into the scriptures to read uh, and see what we can learn from it. Okay, so uh, you can turn your Bibles to me, with me to Matthew chapter 21, verse, and we'll read from verse 23 to 25 uh, first. Okay, um, all the passages on the screen today uh, will be taken from the King James Version. Okay, but uh, if you have other versions, you can refer to that uh, in your Bibles as well. So let's start reading in verse 23. And when he was come into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching, and said, By what authority doest thou these things? And who gave thee this authority? And Jesus answered and said unto them, I also will ask you one thing, which if ye tell me, I in likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. So then Jesus goes on to <coughs> ask his question. The baptism of John. Whence was it? From heaven or of men? So just to provide a bit of context for those who may be unfamiliar with the chief priests and the elders or unfamiliar with this passage um, in general. Now, um, the location where this exchange was taking place was in Jerusalem, in the temple. And uh, Jesus was teaching okay, in the temple. Now, the, who are the chief priests and the elders then? Um, in short, they were respected leaders of the religious community. They were held in high esteem by the Jewish people. And if we, as we continue to read, we will realize that they felt threatened by the presence of Jesus and the popularity that he seemed to be gaining. And that led them <coughs> to question his authority, possibly as a way to undermine him. So let us read from uh, the prior verses in the same chapter, from Matthew chapter 21, verse 12 to 15. And that will give us a clearer picture of what the chief priests and elders were questioning Jesus' authority about. And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple, and overthrew the tables of the money changers, and the seats of them that sold doves, and said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple, and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased. So, as we see here, they were really questioning the authority of Jesus and whether he had the authority to cast out all of them that were doing business in the temple, which was meant as a place of worship, whether he had the authority to heal um, those who came to him and by what authority he was teaching. So how then is this whole situation between Jesus and the Jewish religious leaders related to us? Um, I think it could be that some of us may find ourselves asking the same question that the chief priests and the elders did. Not so much that we want to challenge Jesus' authority, but for those who are honestly seeking the truth, we may be questioning by what authority uh, we hear from religious organizations like the church and from its members. And I guess for those who are already you know, in, in recognition that, oh, I'm seeking for God, okay, the God of the Bible specifically, you may then be confused by the abundance of spiritual information that is out there. Maybe it is confusing, especially because there seems to be different opinions and information 
on similar subjects. And But this is not new. In fact, we know from the Bible that even as early as the 1st century AD, uh, which is the same century in which Jesus Christ established the, established the church, there had already been falsehoods being spread outside the authority of Christ. If we look at 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 3 to 4, we read here of a warning from the Apostle Paul to a uh, fellow servant in Christ, Timothy. In verse 3, he writes, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, uh, they being just people in general, but after their own lusts shall they keep to themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. Similarly, we'll also read in another passage in Acts chapter 20, verse 28 to 30, where Paul was warning, uh, writing to warn the elders at the church, uh, at one of the congregations in a location called Ephesus. So Paul here writes, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock, over the which the Holy Ghost have made you overseers, to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. I think it is therefore safe to infer from what we already see in the scriptures and from what we see today that instances where the truth is distorted exist even today. And they are a cause of confusion for many, particularly for those who are trying to find the truth. For example, there seem to be multiple truths on single subjects that many churches talk about. One of them is baptism. Baptism sometimes, if you hear from one person, may involve sprinkling. Some might tell you that it involves pouring. And others might say you are to be immersed in water. Okay, immersed as in uh, completely covered. Also, on the topic of salvation, we hear information from some where it seems that it's just enough to believe. Right, to believe and sometimes some may say to call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. And yet, if we speak to someone else, who professes also to be a Christian, they may tell you that faith and belief uh, alone are insufficient, but that continued obedience to God is necessary. And the confusing part of all of this is that the information seems correct, and all the sources seem to point towards God as the authority. No God-fearing Christian will tell you that what he is telling you is not from God, that he is trying to uh, bluff you or to cheat you okay? and he, will, he or she will be well-intentioned in telling you these things. So at this point, I will not answer uh, specifically these things that we've flashed on here on the slide but rather I think we can continue to read the passage uh, where we left off in Matthew chapter 21 and verse 24 to 25. Okay, but we will continue reading on to verse 27 and then we will proceed on uh, to the next stage of our lesson. So to briefly uh, give a recap of what had happened, now Jesus had been confronted with the question of whose authority he acted in. And rather than giving a direct answer, uh, as we read just now, uh, Jesus responded with a question. And so once again in verse 24, And Jesus answered and said unto them, I will also ask you one thing, which if ye tell me, I in likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. 
So then Jesus asked, the baptism of John, whence was it, from heaven or of men? And they, being the chief priests and the elders, they reasoned with themselves, saying, If we shall say from heaven, he will say unto us, Why did ye not then believe him? But if we shall say of men, we fear the people, for all hold John as a prophet. And they answered Jesus and said, We cannot tell. And he said unto them, Neither tell I you by what authority I do these things. Okay, so reading this passage, uh, I can um, accept that for some of you who just read this passage alone, it might be quite confusing what this exchange means, uh, why Jesus is speaking in this way, and why the chief priests or elders might say that they cannot tell. Okay, so to give you a, a, a bit of background, um, <coughs> we see here, at the very least, we can tell from the passage that the chief priests and elders seemed to know what authority Jesus was acting under, but they didn't wish to give an honest answer. So what, to explain a bit, um, in a bit more depth what verse 25 and 26 are about, uh, we see that the chief priests find themselves in a difficult situation uh, because they were at odds with Jesus and unwilling to accept his authority, especially because it would mean that their authority would have been diminished. So what they were discussing amongst themselves or in their heads were that if they were to admit that the baptism of John was indeed from heaven, they would also be inadvertently admitting that Jesus was acting on the authority of God. And this is because John the Baptist himself had stated while he was alive that he had come to prepare the way for Jesus and that Jesus was greater than he was. Um, if you wish to, you can, uh, we will read the next passage here so you can turn to your Bibles. Uh, in John chapter 1, verse 29 to 30, okay, we see here uh, John the Baptist proclaiming. Okay? So the next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And then John the Baptist went on to say, This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. So John the Baptist was a prophet. Um, who came to prepare the way for Jesus Christ. So even before Jesus Christ began his earthly ministry, John the Baptist was preaching to tell people to be baptized for the remission of their sins, but at the same time also stating that someone that was greater than him uh, would be coming. So here we see, that's why the chief priests and elders find, found it difficult you know, to admit that John the Baptist acted in John's baptism as he was preaching, was from God. And at the same time, right, the chief priests and elders were also reluctant to anger the Jewish community, right? as we see in verse 26, uh, where it says, um, We fear the people, for all hold John as a prophet. So they didn't want to acknowledge that Jesus had the authority from God, neither did they want to anger the people who uh, gave them a lot of respect, you know, and in some sense uh, supported them. So as a result, they gave a dishonest response in verse 27, saying that we cannot tell, when in fact, it would probably be more accurate to say we do not want to tell. So again, what then is the relevance of this passage of scripture to us? Right? I would suggest that there are two points of relevance. One, 
uh, I think some of us might find ourselves in the same position as the chief priests and elders, where we might recognize the divine authority of the scriptures, but we do not wish to submit to it and to make changes uh, in our life that are in accordance with that authority that we recognize. And as such, we may choose not to follow what is stated in the scriptures, but instead, maybe follow a slightly different view, slightly different uh, opinion that suits our preference. So this might extend to a variety of things, like whether or not to be present at worship services, uh, whether or not we choose to be baptized in a way that is um, uh, stated in the scriptures, or whether or not we choose to evangelize to the people around us. Secondly, uh, like the chief priests and elders, we may be influenced by what others may think of us just as how as they were afraid of offending the Jewish people and also to keep, I guess, the fame and popularity that they had. And because of that pressure, just like how the Jewish uh, elders had, right, we may also be unwilling to accept the authority of God or the scriptures. Uh, many times I find myself in situations where I have to make a choice. Do I stand up for what I think is stated in the Bible? Or do I go along with what people are saying because that seems to be the general uh, opinion or, or agree, agreed upon opinion? And in this case, I think uh, I'll be unable to discuss all possible issues where divine authority is of supreme importance. But I would like to discuss two that are more specific to those who are yet to become Christians. Okay, and the first one is that of baptism. So on this issue in particular, um, there seem to be so many ways one can be baptized, right? As we mentioned just now, um, you have probably seen or heard of uh, baptism by sprinkling, uh, by pouring, and also by immersion. And these are probably the most common ways. Okay? Uh, but are all these ways from heaven or from men? So to answer that question, uh, we cannot, we should not just go to people and ask them, or worse still, we should not go to chat GPT, or we sh probably shouldn't just use Google and look at the first uh, search uh, result that pops up. Okay? We, but we should go to the Bible, as, as we established earlier. Okay? The Bible is the inspired word of God, and that is where uh, we should um, figure out right, whether we have the authority to do certain things. So if we look at just a, a few quick passages, and of course there are a lot more that we can look at. If we look at Romans 6 verse 4, we see here that baptism is compared to being buried, right? So in Romans 6 verse 4, Therefore we are buried with him, uh, the him is with reference to Jesus Christ, uh, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. So we see here that baptism is likened to a burial, which most logical people will conclude, ah, is indicative of baptism where one is fully immersed in water. Obviously, the medium for burial in baptism is water, and, and that will be different from the medium of uh, burial in real burial, uh, which is probably dirt. Okay? And when somebody is buried, or when something is buried, it is fully covered. And similarly, we see in Colossians chapter 2, verse 12, the same idea here is communicated. Uh, it reads, Buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who have raised him from the dead. So clearly in these two passages, we see that baptism or the medium of baptism 
is uh, made reference to. And we can also see in other passages, examples of baptism being carried out in the church after it was established in the first century. And these examples also point towards people having to be immersed or covered in water. Just to draw on one example, if we look at Acts chapter 8 and verse 38. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And this is uh, the he is with reference to uh, Philip, who was uh, preaching and teaching to uh, a eunuch who was uh, part of the Ethiopian uh, royal court. Okay, so um, what happened after that? They went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Now, you might then be saying, but they didn't say he put his head under the water, he wasn't covered with water. Okay, but um, it's together with the two passages that were mentioned just now, and also, if he were going to have water poured on him or sprinkled on him, there would really be no need to enter into the water. And there is nothing here that also tells us that after that, they decided to take a bath or something. So, there was no real reason for them to enter the water apart from the need to be immersed. Okay, and if we take this in consideration with the other passages that we see, then there is really no other conclusion to draw than baptism being by immersion. Okay, as the mode of baptism that was instructed to us by God in the Bible and has been practiced since the church was established. Now, the next issue that maybe we want to quickly look at is this idea of salvation by faith only. And this is where we must ask ourselves again the important question, from heaven or from men? There are numerous advocates of the idea that it is on the basis of faith that believers are made right, okay, of their transgressions or their sins, and that having faith alone is sufficient for one to be saved. And once again, we will turn to the scriptures, okay, and not to the writings of men, uh, to see if such a teaching is indeed from heaven or from men. So let us turn to the book of James, uh, where in chapter 2, the importance of action is highlighted alongside the importance of faith. <coughs> we'll be reading from James chapter 2, uh, 11 verses, from verse 14 uh, to verse 24. In verse 14, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith, and hath not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked, and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled. Notwithstanding, ye give them not, give them not those things which are needful to the body. What doth it profit? Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith Abraham believed God and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Ye see then how that by works a man is justified, and not 
by faith only. From this passage, it is made clear not that faith is not important, but that both faith and works or action are important and that it is not faith alone that will justify uh, a Christian or believer. Let us also consider another two passages, one of which is often used and probably is slightly misunderstood. If we look at John 3.16 and Hebrews 5 verse 9, let's first look at John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, if we were to read this verse in isolation, we may come to the conclusion that belief is sufficient. Because it does say, whoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But it is not uh, yeah, it is, it's not correct for us to look at one verse in the Bible because all the scripture is the inspired word of God and if we were to ignore other passages that deal with that same issue, then we might end up with an incomplete picture, uh, particularly on this issue of salvation. So we read somewhere else in Hebrews 5 verse 9, it says here, and being made perfect, okay, and this is with reference to Jesus Christ, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. And so here we see that belief alone is not sufficient. Or it could also be that if we look at it in totality, the faith that we have or the belief that we have in Jesus must translate into some kind of obedient action. Okay, and we can read in the rest of the scripture and find out a bit more about what, some of, what are some of those things that we need to obey, what are some of those things that we need to do. So this passage indicates how Christ is the author of eternal salvation, but this eternal salvation is conditional upon our obedience to Him. So it should thus be quite clear that the belief that saves is one that includes obedience to God. Faith is definitely not just a mental process. I think the issues of baptism and whether or not uh, one is granted salvation by faith alone are just two of the many possible issues where it is extremely important to establish what teachings come from heaven or from men. And this is because the decision to follow the teachings of men or to be disobedient to what the teachings um, to the teachings from God will lead to negative consequences. In this case, it will lead to the absence of salvation, okay, which uh, if we read the Bible, will mean that we will perish uh, in hellfire. But at the same time, it may not be the easiest view to take, just as how the chief priests and elders struggled with their decision, even if we just look at these two issues of baptism and salvation. It is a much more comforting view to take that belief is sufficient because that will mean that almost everyone can be saved if someone is on their deathbed, you know, and they get a, 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 a sudden, you know, moment of clarity and they say, I believe, you know, that God uh, exists, that Jesus, is the, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Would it not be comforting to know that, oh, that person will also be saved? But we do read from the scriptures that that is not the case. Similarly, for baptism, wouldn't it be comforting to know that whatever way people are baptized, that they will go to heaven. Because the alternative is far from comforting. What if people um, pass away from this life, not having been baptized in a way that is scriptural? Would that not be a devastating thought to have? 
And so we recognize that there are indeed, you know, things that are more favorable to believe because then they would be maybe more slightly, uh, be slightly more positive or optimistic. But yet, I think now then it is important for us to turn our attention back to the original passage in Matthew 21, where we will see what Jesus says to the chief priests and elders, and how he warns them, and by extension us, of the consequences of choosing to follow practices and beliefs that originate from men, rather than those that originate from God. So let us continue reading from the same chapter in Matthew 21, but from verse 28 to 32. So we see here that Jesus still has not given them a response, right? He hasn't told them what authority he's acted under, but instead he proceeds to tell them a parable, which is an earthly story uh, with a spiritual message behind it. So in verse 28, But what think ye? A certain man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. So the son answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he repented, and then he went. So he went to work in the vineyard. And this man went to the second son, and he said the same thing, which means that he asked the son to go and work in the vineyard. And what did the son answer? The son answered and said, I go. I go, sir. But eventually he did not go. He went not. So then the question here that Jesus asked is, whether of them twain did the will of his father. So which of these two people actually carried out the will of his father? They say unto him, the first. So the chief priests and elders had no problem answering this question. It was clear that the first carried out the will of his father because of his obedience, in spite of his initial reluctance to carry out the task. And then Jesus proceeds to say unto to these people who answered, Verily I say unto you, that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and ye believed him not, but the publicans and the harlots believed him, and ye, when ye had seen it, repented not afterward, that ye might believe him. So Jesus here was taking the opportunity after being challenged and questioned by the chief priests and elders to teach them the error of their ways. So he tells them the story of the man with two sons, one that at first uh, chose to disobey, but then repented and obeyed. And another who agreed to obey on the surface and still being respectful, he said, I go, sir. But then, not obeying his father eventually. So then he quizzed his audience, you know which of these two sons is considered to have done the will of his father. So as I was saying just now, funnily enough, the chief priests and elders could clearly see that it was the first son who was obedient. But they couldn't see the parallel that Jesus was trying to draw for them, which is why he had to very explicitly then tell them that the publicans and harlots go into the kingdom before you. And once again, for those who are unfamiliar uh, with the use of these two groups of people, the publicans and the harlots, so publicans refer to the tax collectors who uh, worked for the Roman Empire at that time, collecting taxes. So the Jewish people had uh, great disdain for the tax collectors because uh, many, not all of them, many of them were dishonest and sometimes they would tax the people more than what was required by the Roman government so that they could pocket a bit of the money, uh, which is why uh, the Jewish people hated tax collectors so much. Yeah, and publicans is a reference to that. And uh, harlots, of course, is a reference to uh, prostitutes. And 
That's why this might seem like an overly harsh statement from Jesus Christ to tell the chief priests and elders that even the people hated by the Jewish community for lying and cheating them and the harlots might go into the kingdom of God before them. But while this may seem overly harsh, what Jesus was trying to tell them is while the publicans and harlots were at first sinners, just like the first son who said, I don't want to go, but eventually went, um, the harlots and publicans' willingness to then accept the authority of God and to see the error of their ways eventually allowed them to enter the kingdom of God. In contrast, the seemingly pious and obedient chief priests and elders uh, profess to be followers of God, you know, and people from the outside observing them would see that to be so as well. But then, they continually choose to reject Jesus Christ's authority and his teachings. So in response to the question from heaven or from men, uh, the chief priests and elders made their choice very clear. They would rather accept the teachings and practices of men and very often the teachings and practices that they themselves uh, would propagate. So unlike them, uh, and, and they have obviously since passed on, uh, because this is a report of what happened in history, we still have time to make a choice. If we recognize that certain teachings are indeed from heaven and not from men, are we willing to be like the first son, to repent, uh, if we followed those teachings in the past, and then to submit to the authority of God so that we can be saved? Or will we, like the chief priests and elders, hold on to our personal beliefs or doctrines um, just because uh, we, they are more favorable to the way we want to lead our lives, or maybe because they are more palatable to, I guess, the, the public in general? This is a decision that we need to make. Right? And for the visitors in our midst, the steps of salvation, as they are commonly referred to, um, are very clearly spelled out in the scriptures. Right? God has done his part, as indicated uh, by the lower rung of the stairs there, by sending Jesus his son. And Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And then the Holy Spirit was sent uh, to inspire the apostles to preach the word and also to pen down all the things that we see in the scriptures, which is why we rely on the scriptures as the authoritative word of God. Some of you have already heard the gospel, and now it is on us whether we choose to believe, to repent, to confess Jesus Christ as the Son of God, and then to go through the process of baptism by immersion, and then subsequently to remain faithful. So this applies to our visitors. Now, of course, uh, in this sermon, we could not possibly have dealt with all the possible issues or questions that you might have. So I hope that this will also um, prompt you to further your study of the Bible, to study with us, to discuss with us what are some of the questions that you might have that might be hindering you from obeying the gospel. And lastly, to the brethren in our midst, while the sermon is specifically for people who have yet to become Christians, I think it's a sobering reminder of whether or not we are truly submitting to the authority of God. Are we doing things in our lives that are from heaven or from men? So I encourage you to respond appropriately uh, as uh, Cornelius leads us in the Song of Invitation.
God is calling the prodigal, come without delay. Hear, oh, hear him calling, calling now for thee. Though you wander so far from his presence, come today. Hear his loving voice calling still. Calling now for thee. Oh, weary prodigal, come. Calling now for thee. Oh, weary prodigal, come. Patient, loving, and tenderly still. Waiting there, hear his loving voice calling still.